0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: There's a long list of reasons why people enjoy hunting. But did you know that hunting can also help people, can make a difference in your community, can even save lives? On this episode, we're going to talk about what I believe is one of the most important programs in the hunting world today. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. Today I want to share with you guys something that I am really passionate about. Uh, There there is a cause here, there's an organization, there's something involved that I believe every single hunter in the nation and beyond, wherever you're listening to this, needs to know about, needs to be aware of, and, and needs to engage with and get involved with at some point in your hunting career. Now with me today to help tell that story is Josh Wilson josh is the executive director for farmers and hunters feeding the hungry he's also a lifelong hunter he's very active in various uh, degrees and places of ministry and him and his family have been championing this cause nationwide in order to help people and communities to help people across the nation to connect with hunters to do things that are just absolutely critical. So Josh, it is great to have you on
2: the show today. How are you doing, sir? Hi George. I'm doing great and appreciate the opportunity to be with you here today. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get
1: into the details and and all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story? You know, how did this thing happen? How did this get off the ground? Where did Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry come from? And then we'll talk a little bit about what you guys do and and what the opportunities are for hunters around the nation uh, to get involved and to help people and everything that goes with that.
2: Yeah, sure thing. Be happy to. Uh, well, this, this movement, this organization that we're part of, uh, Ministry, is something that started almost 25 years ago as uh, my dad was on his way to a farm where we did a good bit of hunting while I was in uh, my college years back in the, the early mid 90s, uh, in the state of Virginia. And he was on his way to the farm that day, I don't think to hunt, but to celebrate the uh, landowner's birthday, and to do some work around the farm. Uh, a lot of folks that hunt know that if you have property that, you, that you've arranged to hunt on, that it's always good to uh, offer to help out throughout the year with things that are needed on the property, it builds good rapport and relationship with that landowner. So the the folks that were part of that property were headed to the farm that day to do that. And on his way there, um, it's kind of kind of wild, because growing up, I don't ever remember this happening to us as a family, but he noticed a lady uh, stopped along the roadside, her car was pulled over and and she was uh, outside of the car. And uh, so he for whatever reason, decided to stop and see what the situation was. See if he could see if he could help, and he got out and and walked over to her. And she said, "Could you come over here and help me?" And he he was cautious. He wasn't sure the 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 whole circumstance here that led to uh, her situation, but he he said, "Sure. What what's going on?" And she motioned over to the side of the road and showed him a small buck that was laying there. And he quickly did could see that all oh, this is a deer that was hit by a car and so he thought well maybe she hit it and asked are you okay is your car okay oh she said i'm fine i didn't hit it but i saw it here uh would you help me load it into my trunk and he said well we really should get this tagged back in those days uh, even roadkill needed to be tagged in most states either by a police officer or a wildlife division officer. And uh, she said, well, now I'm not really worried about that. I just need to get this in my car. Would you help me? So he said, sure, I can do that. Um, would you like me to field dress it for you? Make it make it easier for you if you're taking it home? She said, no, that uh, I used to do that. And it just made a mess in my trunk. I, I'd really rather just get it home where my kids and I can deal with it. They're hungry and I need to get this food to them. So he, he realized he was asking too many questions, and what she really just needed was his help. So he lifted the deer up with her. They put it in the trunk. She thanked him, closed the trunk, and, and drove off. And he just stood there kind of puzzled by this experience uh, because, again, I, you know, I don't think this was a typical kind of everyday thing for him, and, and I certainly don't remember stopping and, and helping folks uh, along the road or even really seeing this type of scenario unfold Um, so he was wondering, well, gee, what, what does this mean? And what really struck him was, uh, the words that Jesus shared in Matthew 25, when he was talking about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and taking care of the the poor, visiting those in prison and so forth, and told his followers that basically when you do these things for others, even for the least of these others, you've done it to me. And so it just struck him right then and there that he had encountered the Lord Jesus in this situation because he had assisted this woman. And and then he kind of felt bad, like, well, maybe I I don't even have her name or number, how we could help her. So he went on to the farm and uh, shared the experience with the, the folks there. And, and their first question was, well, Rick, did you get a name? Did you get a number? Is there a way we can seek seek her out, uh, maybe offer some more assistance. And he didn't. And so they kind of they had a good time with that. Well, what good are you? <laughs> they didn't, uh, you couldn't even uh, follow up with her. But they said, well, we, we do know about this program here in Virginia called Hunters for the Hungry. We had some material that one of us got in the mail. Maybe it's time we start looking at how we could donate some of the extra deer we harvest here on the property to that program. And even if it doesn't help uh, the woman that you encountered directly, it, maybe it would. Maybe she'd end up at, at one of the food banks to get some help. Uh, but even if not, at least we can we can take this experience of yours and put it into action, helping the people of the community here around the farm in Virginia. And so they did. We did. I remember. Um, afternoons, you know, getting a deer and knowing that we already had one back in the freezer or that we weren't going to get home to Maryland in time to get it to one of the butcher shops that we typically would use. And so we'd look on the list and find the local butcher that participated there near the farm and and take the deer there to donate to the Hunters for the Hungry program. And uh, so he started thinking, well, you know, we uh, we should be able to do the same kind of thing at home in Maryland where we hunt and other friends hunt. And uh, there was a program here that uh, some different groups had organized prior to that time. And uh, I think at that point, our Department of Natural Resources was running it. Uh, it worked a little differently. The, the Virginia program gave the opportunity for 100 to donate and, and didn't have to pay. You didn't have to pay any of the processing bill because the organization was raising money to pay those bills and take care of getting the meat. Uh, delivered or, or offered up to a food pantry in in Maryland and in some other states, um, the hunter had to pay part of the bill. Here, it was sort of a cooperative deal where I think you would pay half of the price, and then the state was going to reimburse the butcher the other half of their processing bill. But uh, Dad thought, you know, there's got to be a way that we could do something in Maryland more like what Virginia does. I think there would be more deer donated if the hunter didn't have to pay the bill. Uh, and and we could probably just do more with it and and really provide more meat to the the local agencies. So I talked with our pastor, uh, this would have been in 1997, uh, getting ready for hunting season and said, could we do a program? And he described what Virginia had and said, "I, I don't really have an organization other than our church to work with, you know, could this become a ministry of our church this fall? And uh, the pastor liked the idea and kind of became his, his partner in getting it all set up. Uh, they ran it by the church leadership, but they were in agreement. And so at that point, it was, I think he just called it Hunters Feeding the Hungry. And so it was a ministry of our church, and they partnered with several butchers that that we had known, that he had known for many years here in the county, and uh, ran it just like like in Virginia. They went out and looked for financial support and then uh, the church used that to pay the bills for the donated deer. The The butchers were happy with how it worked, and they had a, a good first season. Then the uh, he got a call one day from the Maryland DNR uh, Division of Wildlife, and they asked if he would come to a meeting in Annapolis, and uh, this is kind of a funny story in its of itself. He felt like he probably had Done something wrong, misunderstood some wildlife law that prevents you from doing this kind of thing in the state. So he was concerned that he was going to be shut down right after having that first successful season. But he he said he put on his best suit. He wanted to, wanted to look the part. He headed to Annapolis for this meeting uh, and sat down in an office. And they said, you know, it's nice to meet you, Rick. You uh, you started a program there in in Western Maryland. We saw a news article and something that surprised us about your results were that you had as many deer donated in your county as the program that we've been running had donated across the entire rest of the state. And so we were just curious about that to learn more about what you were doing and and maybe what makes it different. And so he said, well... uh, I tell you, the, there's two things, really. One is that we, we learned what we're doing from the program in Virginia, where they raise the money to pay the bills, uh, whereas the program you guys have been running asks the hunter to pay like $25 part of the bill. Um, and secondly, we're, we're a faith-based Christian ministry. So we're asking the Lord to, to bless this and to take it as far as he'd like it to go. And I don't think you guys are do, able to do that with the state program. And uh, to his surprise, uh, they kind of eased the door shut and went around the room and each person there identified like what church they were part of, what their faith background was. And they said, we were wondering about all that and and we like what you're describing. And it sounds really, really good to us. So would you like to just take the list of butchers we've been working with and, and some of the other contacts we have and expand your program? Across the rest of the state. <laughs> so He said, uh, well, I wasn't really anticipating that, but i sure we can, we could work in that direction. So that's kind of how it got its start going across our state of Maryland. And from there, it just, uh, it just grew uh, as a lifelong hunter and, and competitive archer. Dad had a lot of relationships in the industry and he was able to share it with uh, people that then at that point Uh, were were owners of companies uh, outdoor writers things of that nature and um, so it started to get some coverage in that way some attention and we would get contact from hunters in other states Uh, much like dad learned from the Virginia program they were looking at what he was doing and saying hey I'd like to do this in Ohio or Indiana Uh, could you help me and so we helped other folks uh, get started and from that point it just continued to grow and Uh, Now we've, you know, it's kind of had its ups and downs over the years in terms of size and scope and geographic coverage, but as it stands today here, close to 25 years later, we have uh, about 90 volunteer coordinators that are signed on with our program, and they work in about 15 different states. Um, We're pretty big in Maryland and Ohio, have pretty much full state coverage there, and then other states where we have a handful of volunteers that run chapters. And uh, it works pretty well. So here we are 25 years later and, and folks just like dad and, and we did back in Virginia in the, in the 90s, folks have the opportunity to donate a deer in their community that will make its way in the form of nutritious meat to a local food bank or soup kitchen to help uh, people in need, much like the lady that he encountered originally along the roadside. So then
1: it all started with one single mother that had a need, a personal encounter with a real need. And then just that ball started rolling. And, you know, the further you guys went, you realize the need is bigger than just that person or a couple local people. You know, how, how big is the need really? I don't think most people give much thought to that.
2: Well, it's you know, it's it's tremendous. The uh, you can look up statistics about the need for food assistance, and people can debate uh, who truly is in need, who isn't. We we try not to get off into those discussions and debates. I mean, as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus, we feel that we're just called to help when when someone presents a need so but it's it's millions and millions regardless of what statistics you're looking at millions and millions of our fellow americans including uh families and and many children have difficulty sourcing enough food and whether that's due to uh just their their situation in general or something like covid that struck two years ago i guess we're going on or maybe almost uh, year and a half, two years ago, leading to reduced hours, businesses closing for a time and affecting many, many jobs. Uh, regardless of the cause, uh, we just have a lot of people in our country that that struggle. And I tell you, there's people around us and maybe around you and, and the listeners that maybe don't see or encounter uh, this need every day, but it is real. I remember uh, when uh, one of my i guess it was uh, a principal in uh, our school district uh, told the story that he was when he was an assistant principal there was a young boy in the in the lunchroom that was eating one day and he was just i guess you would say eating like a pig there there's really no other way to describe it he was eating quickly he was making a mess other kids were kind of pointing and laughing about it and he looked at it as a behavior issue initially and approached this this young man and, and warned him about this and said, you can't eat like this. You have to eat you know, like everybody else. You get foods all over the place. Come on, clean up your act. And he came back around later, same problem, different day, same problem. So I said, all right, to the office. And when the lunch shift ended, he went over to talk with him, see if he could figure out what's going on, how they could resolve this. And he said, could you tell me why you eat like this? And he looked at the... Uh, this man, the assistant principal and said, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm hungry. And he said, well, I'm hungry too. I have to watch all of you eat through three lunch shifts before I get to sit down and eat. You're going to have to come up with something better than that. And he said, well, again, I'm sorry, but last night wasn't my turn to eat. Oh, wow. And that just changed the entire story. You know, it it flipped a 180 degree uh, right there. And he realized that he was dealing with something, not a behavioral issue, but behavior that was coming out of of a need that he didn't even know existed in this family. So I only tell that story to say that, you know, I think I go through my day in, in many times, many ways, oblivious to the needs of others around me, even people that look like they're doing fine but may go home to a situation where they're deciding whether they can grocery shop that evening or need to pay for the prescriptions that had been filled or need to pay that rent check. And it's just not, not always easy.
1: I think I saw recently that somewhere around one in seven children in the United States, they do not know where their next meal is coming from.
2: Yeah, that's, again, a statistic I think comes out of the like the USDA um, when they're dealing with things, what they call food security. And uh, so it just has to do with, you know, surveying people and and doing statistical analysis. But yeah, it's, it's a number that, you know, it might not be every night, but certainly uh, they have some criteria where. There, there's a regular occurrence of this child or this family not having enough food to meet their nutritional needs. And in childhood in particular, we know that, that that's very crucial when uh, physically and mentally development is taking place in the body. If, if nutrition is a factor and malnutrition is a factor, then you've got problems with, with growth that can even affect learning and education. So it's just a crucial time to try to make sure we're helping as many people and families as we can, uh, have adequate nutrition. And that includes in, in big, large part protein, uh, our food banks and food pantries are often in great need of protein items. Uh, there's a lot of donation of cereal and pasta, you know, shelf stable things, canned goods, uh, soups and so forth. But when it comes to, uh, fresh or frozen meat, poultry, beef, things like the venison that's donated through our program, it's usually not readily available. It it can be expensive. You know, stores want to sell as much of that as they can. And then when it reaches sort of an end of shelf life type deal, that's not really a food that can be donated in the same way as some of the dry goods. So um, yeah, there's, there's usually a great need for meat items and protein.
1: Wow. And, you know, this is not just affecting families in, in certain underdeveloped areas, but this is affecting families, you know, across the board, people living in subdivisions, people living, you know, across the country, especially in the last year and a half where there's been a lot of, you know, financial troubles and things like that that have happened. But, of course, this dates back well before you know, it doesn't take much. You've got a family where, you know, the father and mother, they both, they're doing well. They have a nice house. They got a good family. They've got good vehicles. One of them loses their job. Uh, Either they can't collect unemployment or it's just not enough or it runs out before they're able to secure something else. And now all of a sudden, that family barely has enough to keep the lights on. And, you know, they're not able to, mm-hmm. to get sufficient food or quantity of food. Could be for a short period of time. Hopefully, uh, you know nothing long term. But it could be long term. It could change the the course of their life forever. They get thrown out of their house. They have to move. They they go through a long season of just not able to find food for their family that, that's nutritious or enough at all. And they you know, like you mentioned, you go to a food bank and you go to places like this that thank God are available to help. But after a while, it's like, okay, well, you, you you need substantive food. If all that's available is, you know, certain things that are, you know, we would consider them, you know, any normal day, yeah, that's fine to eat that. But if all you're eating day and night is ramen noodles, for example, you mm-hmm. reach a point where, one, it's not just that you get tired of it, but your body is not able to gain the nutrients that it needs from that sure. food and, and it can cause – you know, significant health issues in a prolonged state of time.
2: Right. Right. I mean, I love a pop tart or maybe I can't say that. What would we call it? A, a rectangular breakfast <laughs> tree in a box <laughs> as much as the next guy. But, um, you know, if I had to eat that day in day out, eventually my body would be telling me this isn't working. We need something else. Right. Right. So
1: tell me, tell everybody a little bit about just in the simplest terms, you know, how does this program work? If you wanted to donate a deer or, you know, an elk or, you know, another large game animal, you know, how does this actually happen? You wake up in the morning to go hunting, deer walks out in front of you, you take the shot, you get it, and then what happens?
2: Sure. Well, ideally, the the person in that scenario would have already checked ahead of time if they're thinking of donating an animal to help others. To see if either our organization or uh, a different similar organization is active in their area. And by active, that would mean has a butcher shop in place that's participating with the program where they could take that deer, that elk, uh, and say they want to donate it to feed the hungry. And then in that uh, scenario, the, the butcher would probably have some paperwork for them, just like a, a small spot on a log sheet, maybe for their contact info and deer tag number uh, just for accountability, you know, so that the the organization paying the bills knows that that deer was donated, that at, the, at least there's some record of something, uh, you know, that the person was actually there and, and had a tagged deer or elk. Uh, so they would take it, the, the processor would, uh, would accept it, and that would be actually would be it for the hunter in that circumstance. Uh, the processor would then put that through their regular routine. They would get the meat cut, wrapped and frozen, uh, and then they would put it aside with other donated animals, the meat from other donated animals, until they have a batch ready for one of the local food banks or, or ministries that they're partnered with. Uh, and then typically the, the butcher will, will either call either the organization that they're working with, like our Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry or other similar group, or the, the group, the organization may have that butcher linked up directly with a food pantry or food bank that they would call and let them know they have a batch ready. And usually within a day or so, uh, that agency would come out, pick up the meat, and it would be in their freezer with their other food items ready for distribution to families or uh, use as part of the, the meal to make tacos or spaghetti sauce for the soup kitchen that evening uh, and for upcoming days and weeks. And then as far as the, the cost for paying the, the butcher, uh, the butcher would then work up an, a bill and sends it to the organization they're working with like ours. And we pay it using funds that have been raised usually in that community, but sometimes from other grants and things that we're able to secure nationally uh, through, the, uh, through the volunteer coordinator that we have in that area. So everything for us kind of works through a, a coordinator. They're the ones that uh, partner with or kind of recruit these butchers that would like to participate. They work out the arrangements on the cost asking them for a discount, which uh, we usually get like 20% or so off of the normal cost that they would charge the hunter. And uh, then that person, that coordinator also works to raise financial support uh, through personal asks, sometimes through uh, events or fundraisers, drawings, prize drawings, auctions, things like that, Um, community grants or, or grant programs that sometimes churches and other uh, groups might have civic organizations. So they gather that support and, uh, we hold on to that until it's time to pay the the butcher. And so that coordinator then gets the bills from the butcher and sends them on into us. And then we send the payment back out to the butcher. So I think that's all the steps. It's kind of like a, a loop or a repeating cycle. And, uh, this just goes on, you know, the, the most activity of course is during hunting season. Although we do see some donations, if the butchers are open uh, and available to process the meat off-season, uh, there can be deer donated from crop damage or other types of management permits that the state uh, wildlife division or DNR uh, may offer in that particular state. Um, but but it's generally concentrated into the hunting season. We do see some livestock donations um, throughout the year in some places, if, if farming and or, or ranches are prevalent, but, uh, yeah, that's how it works.
1: So then you have a person who who they've, they've got a heart for this cause. They've got a heart for feeding people in their local community. They're sensitive to the need, Uh, whether they're a hunter or a non-hunter, they contact you guys. You've got materials and training and resources. They become a volunteer coordinator. So then they go and they identify butcher shops who are willing to participate and process the meat and, then they go and they talk to churches and businesses and community organizations and nonprofits, you know, to find people to fund that local program and those local butcher shops. And then they coordinate getting the meat back and forth and, and the the financial factor with you guys. And then when it comes to the hunters, they take the deer or the elk or whatever the case may be. They take it to the butcher shop, drop it off, and that's it. That's all they need to do. The the coordination and the details are taken care of by the coordinator. The finances are taken care of usually by the local organizations. And, um, it just sort of works like clockwork from the hunter standpoint. And at the same time, those people that are, you know, donating the resources to help make it possible, you know, they, they work on their side behind the scenes, but, uh, everything just sort of, it's like, there's, two or three different spheres of operation that make all this happen. Right. So no one has to worry about what the other people are doing. They just do their part and then it's done.
2: Yep. That's, that's correct. Um, and we do have hunters that get involved as volunteers or uh, in some cases, it's, it's a hunter that becomes the coordinator. Maybe they contact us and they find that we don't already have anything going in their area or, Uh, We don't have another organization we're aware of that we could refer them to, to participate with. And so they decide it's time to get it started, much like like dad did almost 25 years ago for their community. Great. And
1: I think it's important to recognize, you know, you guys aren't trying to pretend like you're the only ones out there doing this. There's lots of other good organizations that are doing this work in different states and different areas. And maybe, uh, you know, like in my state of Pennsylvania, we've got hunters sharing the harvest great program they do a lot of the similar things that you guys do they're they're pervasive throughout the state but they're not everywhere and you know if a hunter's got to drive two or 3 hours after you know a long day out in the field to drop off a deer that's just probably not likely to happen so there's opportunities you know all across the nation to make sure that there's something like this within driving distance, reasonable driving distance of, you know, anyone who's hunting that, that might be willing or able to donate something.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we don't pretend we're the only organization, you know, dad learned about it from Virginia and those folks, they didn't even take credit for it. They said that uh, the director down there in Virginia, he'd say, oh, I've read some article back in the eighties about a group in Texas that was doing this. So it's really hard to pinpoint where it started. Uh, I think, again, back in the maybe the 1980s. I think if you look, back, Safari Club was encouraging their their chapters and their people to be involved with donation and may have started organizing some things with local butchers. Uh, but in reality, we all know that it's it's not an organization that started this concept. Uh, hunters have been providers for their community, for their neighbors, for their family, really throughout history. Uh, so farming, hunting, and I guess you could throw in gathering, those have been the means for food production and securing the, the nutrition needed uh, throughout human history. So we're really just taking what's already been going on and been happening And in in a modern sense, just organizing it, giving it some intentionality and a process that people can use. And uh, yeah, it works pretty well.
1: And I noticed on your website, you guys have, you know, farmer or FHFH.org. You guys have a lot of stories and testimonies and, you know, kids that are out on their first hunt and, and they decided, you know, the first deer that they shot, they wanted to donate that to help feed other kids in their community and just, you know, tearjerker after tearjerker of people, you know, mm. just making extraordinary decisions often, you know, even as children. Um, and of course, you know, adults as well. And especially those that are new hunters, just deciding, you know, what I want this to be a part of what I do. I want to make sure that you know I'm out in the woods, I'm having fun, I'm enjoying this, but I want it to count. I want it to help other people also. I want this to to mean something in my community and and they're reaching out and doing something beyond themselves.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the big the big wins in all of this that maybe we didn't fully anticipate was this idea of another generation watching mom and dad donate animals to feed those in the community that are struggling and then deciding when they get their first deer, you know, this the son or daughter and mom or dad says, so how much jerky are we going to get or how much sausage? How do you want to get this made up? And and they say, oh no, we're not keeping this one. We're donating this one just like you do. Cause I want to help people like you do, mom, or like you do, dad. Yeah, that's (laughs) I tell you what, that makes it all worthwhile because yeah, we we do this to to glorify God to help those in need primarily. But oftentimes I think it's those that are participating as hunters, as volunteers that maybe are impacted just as much, if not more uh, by their involvement in the whole thing.
1: You know, that's so awesome. I did not grow up as a hunter. I didn't have a, a rich hunting tradition in my family. And, you know, it was just never, never had anything like this in my life until, you know, I became an adult and just decided to, that I needed to press into, you know, the, the hunting world for all the reasons I've talked about on previous episodes and, and, you know, some of the early episodes, but, you know, thinking that this could be an example that parents, that adults set, whether you're new to hunting, whether you've been hunting all your life, you know, you can set an example for the next generation, uh, to help people to take this sport. For most of us, it's a sport. Most of us are not hunting to eat. You know, I mean, we 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 like the meat. We keep it. I do lots of episodes and even videos on how to cook it because it is outstanding meat, some of the highest quality you can get. But at the same time, we could go and buy that meat. You know, we we're 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 not fooling ourselves to think we're doing this to survive most of the time. There are some situations, of course, but to think that we could then, you know, by example show the next generation that hey, you know there's other people that they're not able to do this. They don't have the resources. They don't have the know-how. They don't have the opportunities. They tr- they can't think past, you know, what are we going to have for dinner tonight or for breakfast tomorrow? And how many times can my kids eat this week? And we're able to help them and do something for them. And the kids see it and grow up with that and, and have that in their heart, I think is just That in and of itself makes it worth doing, just teaching those lessons and modeling that for children. uh, it's It's just incredible.
0: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
2: Absolutely, yep, couldn't agree more.
1: So then, you know, you you, you all this on the hunting side, and you know, maybe not everyone's aware, but in some states, you know, archery season opens maybe even the first of September, and some states it goes until maybe the end of January. So there's a good you know, however many months that is five or six months worth of hunting season that's mm-hmm. out there, but the meat gets frozen. So it can be utilized longer than the hunting season. Although, as I understand it, most food banks and and those that are, you know, handing it out this stuff goes pretty quick, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Usually it does. Um, that that's, I've heard, we've heard from food bank directors and coordinators that there are people that grow to, appreciate the the venison so much that when it is available becomes available a load comes from the butcher shop uh they come right away they they contact others that they know get assistance at the same location and let them know that the venison's there and so yep it's uh you know you'd think that maybe people that didn't grow up enjoying uh wild game meat in their in their food and in their meals would be skeptical or have an aversion, but it sounds like uh, most of the times that I've talked with food bank directors about this, that it, it's quickly overcome, that uh, some food banks will offer samples. They'll be like, well, take take a small amount with your, with your other items here and see what you think. And and very frequently, those folks are ready for a full batch the next time they come. And,
1: you know, we're, you're in no ways providing an in, an inferior product to people. I mean, you know, the venison that's going out there is of the same or oftentimes even higher grade quality, you know, meat than what you're getting in a supermarket in terms of beef and some other things that are fattier that, you know. Who knows what else might be included with them? And so many times, you know, the animals coming out of the field, it's the highest quality meat you can get. And the butchers, you know, that's one of the reasons it's so important to go through butchers, isn't it? Because those folks, they, they know what's good, what's not good, what parts aren't good, and they're not sending just garbage out. You know, you guys talk to the butchers and, you know, you've got a relationship there where it's, you know, don't send anything to the food banks that you and your family wouldn't eat, right?
2: Yes, that's that's exactly right. And we, we aim and, and try to work with butchers that are either state or USDA certified. So these are places that are also doing uh, livestock, sometimes slaughtering, sometimes custom butchering on site. And uh, we do also work with some game processors uh, on a case by case basis. Um, And there's certainly nothing wrong with game processors. Many hunters use them and uh, and that's fine. And they do great work. Uh, But since we're talking about public meat distribution through food banks to people that weren't involved in hunting for the deer, weren't involved in picking the butcher that was going to process it. We just try to make sure that those we work with are experienced, uh, that they learn the trade professionally. They've been in business for a while. Um, There haven't been any known issues among their customers or problems with the meat that they've gotten, uh, that they've got a good setup in place uh, to do it. So, yeah, you know, whether it's a game processor or all the way up through the USDA or state inspected places, we make sure that the folks doing it to the best of our knowledge uh, are, are trained and equipped to do it, do it right, do it well. And just as you said, we tell them if something comes in the door that you wouldn't feed to your family or your friends, just discard it. You know, we we hate to see something go to waste, but we would hate even more for somebody to get food that's not wholesome.
1: Right, absolutely. And I just want to share a little bit about you know my story with this. I came up never knowing programs like this existed, and you know I would take deer after deer, year after year, to the butcher shop, and I noticed there was a little you know little uh, symbol or badge or whatever that they hang they hung there at the at the butcher shop door that mentioned they were part of hunters sharing the harvest or one of the programs that are similar. And for years, mm-hmm. I had no idea what that even meant. And in fact, it wasn't even until the point where they decided that they were going to stop processing game um, that people were bringing in to that particular shop unless it was donations to that program. And I thought donations, what's the program? I started looking it up <laughs> and that's how I discovered this whole universe. So there's a huge hmm. knowledge barrier and I think word of mouth and people talking about this and and you know sharing it with their friends and things like that you know there's a huge opportunity there because you know this is a ministry and a lot of these other organizations they're nonprofits also and they don't have you know huge marketing budgets to go on TV or to to advertise through all these big channels to let people know this is out there you know, it's 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 got to be people telling other people that this is happening. This is a need. These places are around, or if they're not around, we can start one. We can get one up and running. We can help be part of the solution for feeding people. We can become a volunteer coordinator. You know, it, people need to talk about it. They got to vocalize it. They they got to do podcasts just like this one, letting people know about mm-hmm. the need and the opportunities. to to get involved because I mean I think people just take for granted that oh yeah everybody knows about stuff and you know if they want to participate they can but that's just you know not been my experience everybody thinks everybody knows everything about hunting and of course you know the people who do know some things they think they know everything about hunting but the reality is there's so much knowledge that's just, it's not transferred. It's not passed on. There's there's no way to know unless people talk about it and they share about it and they talk about it at hunting camp and they talk about it with their family members and and they, they donate a deer so that they can talk about, you know, they did that and the need and they use that as a reason to share about it and let yeah. other people even in the local area know. That this is happening, that this is a need, and that we can do something about it. And it's easy. It, it's not hard. It doesn't cost you anything. You bring a deer, you you donate it, they take down you know, where it came from so that you know they know it's legit and, and legal and they can share and, and all of that. And then this is going to help people, it's going to feed people, it's going to make a difference. And not just deer, you know, like we said, any big game. Uh, depending on the area if you're if your butchers process it they can do that and even livestock um you know if, if you have a butcher that's willing to do that the sky's the limit in terms of what could be donated right
2: yep that, that's pretty much true uh most of the deer and large game um one exception would be uh wild or feral hogs or any other animals that can carry trichinosis and other uh, diseases where uh cooking and food safety could become a little bit more of an issue. Those are not recommended for donation uh, by the health departments and, and different state agencies and things. So we don't use those. Uh, and then you get into sometimes like smaller game, uh, fowl, fish. Uh, in many cases, since these are animals that are typically cleaned and prepared individually by hunters, you're just not going to find a processor or a plant that is equipped to handle them professionally. And so that's where, you know, a hunter could certainly still seek out, uh, an, an agency, maybe a rescue mission or, or some group that deals directly with their own food sourcing and, and prep, uh, on site that would be interested in, uh, some of those other kinds of animals and meet, meat from those animals. Um, but for, for the organized programs, sure, all the, the big game deer elk, uh, and then you get into the livestock, uh, types of deals. Yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunity. And if
1: listeners are, you know, you live in an area where a certain kind of hunting is huge, maybe maybe you live in a big waterfowl area under a major flyway and, you know, you guys take in scores of geese in a year. Maybe you could find a processor who would, who would be willing to work with that or, or something locally that made sense. But, you know, in terms of uh, getting something like this started. Say somebody they thought about, you know, they wanted more information about becoming a volunteer coordinator. How could they get involved?
2: Sure. Well, we, we're happy to talk with anybody. Uh, our website's a good resource, FHFH.org. Uh, we have spots, different places on the site about becoming a volunteer, becoming a coordinator that will lead to some basic information and then our contact info Um, Just got a couple of emails this past week from people wanting to know more about that side of things. So we're always open to those conversations and we'll see if it's a good fit. In some cases, uh, if someone's just looking for uh, a way to donate deer and they're not familiar and they ask about being a coordinator, well, if we find that maybe we already have a chapter nearby or another organization exists in that area, then we can make that connection for them. But in those cases where we come up empty and the only way they're going to be able to participate is if a chapter starts, uh, then we have that conversation.
1: Of course. So, and of course it doesn't cost anything to become a volunteer coordinator. You're not the one that has to do any donating. It's, it's you're the one that coordinates and you talk to the butchers and you talk to local churches and businesses and maybe civic organizations and you guys would help them do that, right?
2: Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We've got materials and resources, and we're always open to developing new new concepts and new material as well. Um, A big part of what we're doing now is all of us, of course, are are grappling with the transition from doing everything on paper to doing more things digitally. So we have opportunities for people to give that way, to become involved that way, Uh, email communication, online giving. Uh, It's all there and and we're trying to make more of those avenues available to our volunteers so that they in turn can share them locally and gather support in those ways. Right. So
1: the three main ways then people can get involved, they can donate a deer. That is the front line number one way to help feed people. Number two, they Mm -hmm. can become a volunteer coordinator and help establish a local chapter or maybe even assist a local chapter. Uh, if mm-hmm. there's one in their area, yep. and number three, they could go onto your website and and they could just make a straight monetary donation to help process deer and and animals and livestock, maybe in areas that are underfunded or new and upcoming, or um you know sometimes there's just a surge of need and and you know the local chapter's not able to come up with the resources, but your gift can help go towards filling in the gap and feeding people and you know you could become a supporter individually or even as a business.
2: Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly right. We have partnering sponsors, uh companies that that get on board with larger contributions, uh all the way down to folks making a first time gift or or maybe setting up a monthly gift uh that recurs. So all of that is crucial to making this work. Gotcha. And and you guys have
1: some you know, significant organizations that have or, or do play some part and help you guys in various roles, right? I mean, th- I just want to make the point to people, this is not some startup fly by night operation. I mean, these guys are really after this and focused on it and, and they've got the credibility to 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 show for it.
2: Sure. Yeah. and And that's a testament to the, some of the companies and organizations in the hunting and shooting sports industries that they recognize that this is an important way for hunters to give back an important way and and opportunity to show uh, the general public all the good that hunters can do the service that they can provide. So yeah, we have groups like uh, the Bass Pro and Cabela's outdoor fund that are supportive uh, NRA Hunters for the Hungry. Uh, They provide information for people looking for butchers to donate to, and, and they provide the opportunity now to, for organizations to, to get some subsidy funding, grant funding through their program. Um, so those are just two, uh, you know, Matthews and mission archery in the archery world have always been supportive of this kind of work. Uh, and then your companies like Mossy Oak and, and, you know, of course they cover everything from camouflage to, to video and media and internet, um, types of news and stories and what have you so and they're just the tip of the iceberg so many organizations and companies not just supporting us but supporting some of the other groups that do the same kind of work so it really is a community effort from from big industry all the way down to uh, us as individuals that organize things and the hunters that donate and the, the people that give financially um, and that's great. I mean, we, we're we going to need to be uh, looking for ways to help others. I think COVID, <laughs> we'll go back to COVID for just a moment. It gave all of us a little taste at how one unexpected turn of events at the national or global level can affect everything. You know, people were going to the grocery store and there was no meat in the meat counter, no toilet paper on the, on the racks. And we said these news stories about this. That was just a little taste of, of how I guess how fragile we really are as people and how we need to be equipped and ready to help one another at the local level and to find and source our food and other needs and not be dependent uh, on big industry or even a government, because who knows things come along, it's out of our control. And I think even as Christians, we know that things are out of our hands that uh, we we rely on the grace and benevolence of a, a loving creator. But there, is, there are things in this world that are far beyond our control that, that seek to cause us harm, that, that can impact our lives in tremendously negative ways. And uh, those are the times that we need to be ready to help one another and especially uh, help those in our communities that are unable to provide for themselves or, or don't have the knowledge. So there again, even as your listeners and viewers are learning about the sport of hunting picking up a skill, picking up an ability to do something that not everybody in the community has to, to source your own meat from the, from the local lands. And so anyway, who knows? All I'm saying is there's a, there's a lot that goes into this. There's a lot of moving parts. If we all do our part and all play the role that we are, are led to play, Uh, a lot of great things can happen.
1: You know, you speak the truth. I remember the day I was at the grocery store, purposely went to the nicest, biggest, most prestigious grocery store in the area, and the meat counter was empty. There was Mm. nothing back there. And I I will probably never forget the look in people's eyes when they pushed a cart of ground meat out from the back. And just people just Mm. swarmed around this cart of ground meat, and they just had this look in their eyes like you know everybody else look out i'm getting some and i remember sitting there realizing yeah. yeah that's fine i don't need any ground meat i've got i've got more ground venison in my freezer than i'll probably be able to eat before the next deer comes in and then i started thinking later i was like man what about people that aren't in that position people that don't have their own meat people that aren't able to to come to this grocery store and and pay top dollar and you know, huddle around this circle and fight everybody else off to get some ground meat. Sure. What about the people that don't have the resources? Like, what are they eating right now? You know, what 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 is how are they feeding their families? You know, what, what's happening at the food banks right now? Like what is going out to people? If this is what's happening in in the most prestigious grocery store in the town where everything's the most money but they have the most of it, and this is, you know, you got people standing in a circle, fighting each other over a cart of ground beef. What's happening to people that don't have resources? And it just, it just, you know, it's something I think is always going to stick with me, but hmm. you know, that need was always been there. And you guys have, you know, I saw on your website, maybe somewhere around a hundred or 150, you know, different participating butchers or areas or chapters or so on guys, they, they need to be having thousands. They ne- there needs to be thousands of these chapters across the country. You know there are, there are white tails and other game and basically every state they can be plentiful that are plentifully hunted on a regular basis, and that you know the need is just so big. You know I I I, I push Josh to do some name dropping just to show you guys the credibility here, but you know nothing about this is sponsored. You know, it's just the sheer cause of this that's pushing us forward. And, you know, some of these organizations, they do help, but the need just drastically outpaces the, the resources that anyone's able to contribute to this. This is something that everybody needs to be a part of. Every hunter needs to be a part of. Everyone in every community needs to be a part of. Not saying you've got to donate every deer you need to donate, you know, at any any particular rate, but it's something that we all need to be aware of and, and play a part in. Um, you know, we can give online, we can put money into this thing to, to help fund. You know, in some areas, I, I'd be sure that, you know, if a coordinator was just able to go to a butcher and say, don't worry about it, we've got the resources already under control, it would be much easier to start chapters uh, versus trying to find the local support and and take the time and the energy to do that if the resources were available i would imagine you know we could scale and grow this thing a lot faster so i want to encourage people you know get engaged get involved check out the website farmers and hunters feeding the hungry you can just google that or fhfh.org read some of the testimonies read some of the stories look at some of the figures and and just make it a point to say I'm going to be aware of this, I'm going to engage in this at some level, whatever whatever I'm able to do, whatever makes sense for my situation, to be someone who's taking a a step forward to help feed people, to help meet these needs, to help set an example even for for their children and, and people that are coming behind us. I just feel like this is something everyone needs to have in the back of their mind and, and be looking for their opportunities to, to be involved. But Josh, is there anything else, you know, top of mind, anything else in your heart, anything else you want to share and get in before we wrap up today? I want to make sure that, you know, I don't end on a monologue. I want to make sure you got the opportunity to say anything else you <laughs> that you've gotten and brought to the table today.
2: I think we've covered a lot of bases here today, George. And again, I appreciate the opportunity. I would just say that the, what you mentioned earlier about, the need to share this information with others. Uh, you know, we're just inundated with information today, whether it's, you know, used to be newspaper then TV, but now internet, it's in our pockets and on our phones coming from all directions. And there's so much information that at times it's hard to get a message out about something like our program. Um, so many hunters seasoned veteran hunters that have no idea that this type of work exists either with our group or another organization, Uh, or they have a misconception about how it works. Um, Maybe they participated with an older program where they had to pay the bill. And that was an obstacle to them for donating their deer, uh, the processing bill. Uh, And in most States, a lot of places now, our program and others are trying to do the work so that they don't have to pay that bill. So just getting that word out, sharing this opportunity with others, you know, that once someone hears about it, learns about it, checks it out, you know, pass that information on because you never know who might be the next deer donor, the next financial supporter, the next volunteer that would start this kind of work in their own community.
1: Yep, absolutely. Well, I really thank you, sir, for coming on the show today. Uh, this is just such an important cause. And I think that, you know, everybody can play a role at some level. So, guys, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. However, you listen to podcasts, really appreciate it. Um, you know, if you leave a review on iTunes, that helps us get the show out and helps get this kind of content out to more people and just enables us to, to expand and do more. So that's you know, one tiny way you can help. But head to the website, farmersandhunters.com f, or org, f-h-f-h.org. You can read all about it. You can watch videos. You can see stories and testimonies uh, and just, you know, get that in your consciousness and, and put that at the front of your mind. and something you can share on Facebook and wherever else you go. So till next time, guys, I appreciate you. God bless you and go get them in the woods.